Good morning, I'm Mark Blair. And today we're gonna to be reading in Colossians, um, chapter three, starting with verse one and going through chapter four, uh, verse six. So you can uh, follow along in your pew Bible, page 984. Again, that's 984, starting with chapter three of Colossians, going all the way to chapter four. If then you've been raised with Christ, Seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talking from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. There is not Greek and Jew circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free. But Christ is all and in all. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you all so must forgive. And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this is pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Bodservants, Obey in everything those who are earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily, for it is the Lord, not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive an inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, Treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders making the best use of time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, 
so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. This is the word of the Lord. All right. Well, hey, good morning again. If we haven't met, my name is Chris. I'm really thankful that you guys are here, especially if this is your first time with us. If you're visiting with family or it's your first time in the room, uh, welcome. You've come at like, a good time as we start the new year. Uh, it's a chance for us to kind of talk about who we are as a church, which really is a way to talk about what God designs for his people to live into. To talk about what we want to be as a church is to talk about what it means to be a follower of Jesus, to think about what it means to apprentice after God's own son and apply the truth of who he is and what he's done for us to our lives and how that plays itself out in our relationships. And that's really what we're trying to do as a church is to think about what God's called us to as people and try to match that as a church and say, well, if that's what we're supposed to be doing, how do we live into that individually and corporately as a body? So, so if you don't know Jesus, if you're exploring Christianity, this is a great Sunday to be here as we kind of start a six-week series. What you just heard from Colossians 3 is kind of, a, a, in a nutshell, the gospel of Jesus. It's the story of Jesus. It's the exhortations of Jesus. It's how we are changed by Jesus. It's the places we live out our lives because of Jesus changing us. I think you'll be really encouraged to um, add to your exploration of faith just an understanding of like who God is from, from this particular passage. It's kind of a um, concentrated, maybe like the way a laundry soap or something is concentrated to kind of be condensed, and then we can summarize and kind of pull from, from this like things you see throughout the rest of the Bible. So not a follower of Jesus, super thankful you're here. I think you'll be encouraged. If you are a follower of Jesus, I think it'll be a good reminder for you of what our faith is actually centered in. And if you're a member here at our church, it should be a reminder to you of what we're giving ourselves to as a people, what, what it means for us to participate meaningfully here at Hope Community Church as we think about how we want to love each other and how we want to walk with each other and what it means for us to treasure Jesus together. So, so I'm, I'm, I'm pretty excited. We've I'm not going to declare that every January we'll always only do this, but there's a lot of value to start a new year off with just a reminder of what's important. You do this kind of naturally with your resolutions, and I'm sure at work you're setting new goals as you kind of wind up the fourth quarter and come into the first quarter, you're thinking about this next year. And so it's appropriate just to stop and go, what is the main idea? What is the, what is the focus here? And the truth is, as our human hearts are able to drift or we have a tendency to forget, to even fall asleep is the way the Bible talks sometimes, uh, there's a real value just to reminding us of what is of what is true. Christianity is not a religion of effort and work. So this is not a six-week series of all the things you have to do for God to love you and all the ways you got to get your act together so you can be pleasing to God. The good news of Christianity is that Christ has done all of that. But like this text says, our task is to remember, to, to seek that, to set our minds on that, to, to look to it, to kind of open our eyes to it. Uh, Peter, who's another early follower of Jesus, a contemporary of Paul who wrote this passage that you just had read, um, used an illustration, almost like an optometry illustration. He talks about a nearsightedness that can happen to us. And if we're not living into the truths of who Jesus uh, is or was or what he's been for us, it's as if we were nearsighted and we just have forgotten. So think about that awkward moment when you don't have your glasses on, you're stumbling through the house in the dark and you stub your toe on something like when you don't have your glasses on, you're not seeing clearly we're susceptible to, to stub our toe, to, to fall, to bump into something. And, and that's kind of a funny thing or a frustrating thing or annoying thing in your living room. But when it comes to our relationships, to stub our toe, so to speak, or to, to get out of bounds or to forget what it is to be rooted in an identity in Jesus and start to use people again, start to manipulate the situation around us to make ourselves feel safe, to, to start to prove that we're worthy of love 
uh, when it comes to our most intimate relationships or even at, at work. Those things have a big cost to them. So, so to remember together uh, is to remind ourselves of like who Jesus is and what it means to actually follow him. So I want to do two things. I want to just kind of lay that out for you kind of in summary fashion. So if you can permit me just to do a little housekeeping and remind you, hey, how we think about this passage together, and then I'll jump into the specific sermon. But my introduction will probably be like three times as long as it's normally long. This text, because what Colossians 3 is about is what the Bible is about, is about transformation and changed lives. It's about how God steps into our world to fix what was broken back in the garden. So if you're not familiar with the Bible story, you have a whole 66 books that tell one story about how God loves us, created us, made us, and we turned away from Him. We said no. We said we want something more. We want something else. And so in Genesis chapter 3, that's the first book of the Bible, already there you have what's called the fall, where we step away from God and everything breaks. And you and I have lived under the consequences of that our entire lives. And you can trace back millennium and generations to think about the impact of that sin and brokenness. And what you have from Genesis 3 through the Old Testament is the promise that God is going to fix that, that he's going to come and send another descendant of Adam, a descendant of Abraham, a descendant of David, these kind of patriarchs of the Old Testament. There will be one to come and make all things new. We actually spent six weeks in the minor prophets just coming into the last year and my hope there was that you would see both the holiness of God, that's what prophets communicate to us, as well as our brokenness, our, our need for God. And it creates this tension between who God is and who we are. And what you saw with those people from, from the 8th century to the 5th century living in that tension. And then the answer to the tension is that God was going to send a Messiah. God was going to send a promised one, an anointed one who is going to come as the line of David, come and reestablish the temple, come and, come and welcome us. We'd been unfaithful like we read in Hosea, and he's going to come and be faithful for us. And so Christmas leads to that space where we celebrate where the New Testament opens, that Jesus is the one who is that promised one. He's the one who actually comes to rescue and redeem. And so because of his death on the cross, that's a sacrifice for us, we have hope and there can be forgiveness for all the brokenness that we've done and has been done to us. And now, because of what Christ has done, we're free to follow God, and we're spending the rest of our days working that out, working out the redemption, kind of the implications, the application of the truth of who Jesus is. And then one day, God will finally restore everything. That's the way the book closes in Revelation. So you have creation and fall, you have promise in there of God promising to fix it. You have redemption in Jesus, and then you have final restoration. That's a, a quick summary of this whole entire book. So Colossians picks up after Christ has come, and it's explaining the implications of that. And what you see is that God is promising to change and transform us. So Colossians 3 really is about transformation, which means our church should be about transformation, about, about life change, about the things that you're wrestling with actually meeting God in meaningful ways that are being redeemed and healed and restored and, and changed, where we actually move away from a rejection of God and enmity with people and actually move towards love like, like Roxy led us through in prayer. But, but you go like, well, how does that even happen? How does, how does transformation take place? And so that little diagram, the three inner circles there, this text gives us kind of three parts of a process of how does it happen? The first thing is, is to trust Jesus. That's three, one to four of Colossians. When we trust Jesus, we're looking to Him, not to ourselves, to be the one who actually is our hope. We no longer try to manage or manipulate our relationships. We're trusting His sacrifice on the cross to, to be enough for us. So transformation actually starts with the person 
of Jesus. He is the centerpiece of this whole thing. He's the centerpiece of the entire Bible. He's the main point of the book of Colossians. And it's where this passage starts in chapter 3. So to be, to be raised with Christ, to be, to be seated with Him, to be hidden with Him. And actually, in Christ is all throughout this text. It shows up a ton of times because that is the main idea. To be in Jesus is where transformation starts. So to trust that gospel story is the word that you see there. And then you don't just have ideas in your head. You don't just kind of think about something. It actually has reality to your life. And so the next section, Colossians 3, 5 to 11, says that we've actually been trusting other things, these things of the flesh, these things of the earth, and we're to turn from them, to take them off, to put them away. Galatians and Ephesians have real similar passages, and Galatians will use an organic illustration of the fruits of the flesh and the fruits of the Spirit. This is a clothing illustration. He says to put to death, and later on he says to, to take off the things of the flesh. And if you look there, you'd see a list right? sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil, anger, wickedness, malice. These, these things we do, not just like bad things good people shouldn't do, but they are the strategies you deploy to make yourself safe. You'll use sex to soothe yourself. you use anger to be powerful to push someone away. You'll manipulate through slander to get what you want so you can be in a community and be seen as somebody who's respectable as you step on someone else to exalt yourself. That's just how we've lived our lives apart from Jesus. You didn't have another option. You had to build your own identity. And so what this is saying is transformation happens as you trust Jesus and then turn away from other things you've trusted to stop trusting those things, right? to, to take those things off. And Christianity is not just a trust God and stop doing bad things. It goes on to learn to walk by the Spirit, to, to be reclothed in something, to put on something that matches Christ. So we come to verse 12 of chapter 3. He says, put on then, and he reminds of that identity, that gospel identity that comes from Jesus, as God's chosen holy ones who are beloved, put on not slander, malice, anger, sexual morality, but put on compassionate hearts and kindness and humility and meekness and patience bear with one another forgive one another live a life of gratitude and thankfulness which i think you've experienced is impossible on your own you can fake those things you can manufacture them for a season you can try to leverage them to be esteemed in relationships but you can't from the inside out kind of on your own be a person who's only genuine only giving that takes being given to it takes having a relationship with jesus to transform and change you so so the first 17 verses there in colossians 3 are represented in those three inner circles transformation happens as you trust jesus and the gospel story the good news of what christ has done you turn away from other things you've been trusting to repent and be honest about your brokenness and then turn to the way jesus tells us to live the way he enables us to live tracking with that so there's a process of transformation that we want to give ourselves to as a people we try to tell that story every week we try to remind you of who jesus is and give you permission to be honest about your brokenness and then help you know what it looks like to follow after jesus and this was written to early christians and they, they needed to be reminded the same way we need to be reminded so we'll like never get over this we'll never get past this you don't like master this it's not like 101 christianity and then you move on to 201 and 301 this is the whole thing constantly being renewed and transformed which i hope gives you some like assurance and some like deep breath that you're not finished god's surely not done with you and you're also not finished in your transformation and if you're not a follower of jesus yet maybe you haven't even begun being changed and transformed but god has aimed for you like inner healing from this brokenness of the things that happened in the fall so so that's the three one to 17 those inner circles of the process of transformation 
And then he goes on to give us practices that if we engage with them, they lead to transformation. So, so in that same section of 3.12 to 17, you'll see four practices. You'll see giving yourselves to the Word, to dwell, let the Word of Christ dwell richly in us, let the Scriptures shape us, right? To know this story, to hear this story, to be redefined by who God is and who He says we are so we can be honest. Actually, it's in the Bible that you see the Gospel story and you see Him call out things of the flesh and you see him describe what it means to walk by the spirit so to be in the word and he says and to worship to let your affections be stirred towards god it's beyond singing it would include the things that we do even as we sung did you catch like the lyrics of those are reorienting lyrics you sang things that are crazy profound because of the blood and righteousness of christ you actually have hope to be reminded of the truth of who God is and worship helps us embody that a little differently help us feel that a little differently so it's not just singing it plays itself out in the rest of our lives but he calls us to to worship to to adore it has something to do with our affections and our heart Christianity is not just an academic intellectual thing you don't give assent to certain doctrines and then you're fine with God it has everything to do with what's going on inside of you so 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 worship And if you go down to chapter 4, he talks about prayer, to commune with God. So the Word helps us hear from God. Prayer helps us speak to God. And then the fourth practice is community. There's, If you look in that text there, there's a ton of one another commands. He talks about being in one body, that this is meant to be lived out in relationships. So, So we say then, transformation happens as we trust Jesus, as we turn away from other things we've been trusting, as we learn to walk by the Spirit, and as we engage in these simple basic practices of being in the word of worshiping of praying and then being in relationships with one another where we can see where we need jesus we can be encouraged in our our walk with god we can be prayed for we can have someone help us understand the word it all kind of works together in those spaces right so there's a process of transformation and then a uh, practices that we engage with and then finally it goes to places that we live this transformation out. It may have felt like a sharp turn as Mark was reading to go from verse 17 to 18. He's talking about all these things to do by the Spirit, and then he jumps into wives, submit to your husbands, and husbands, don't be harsh to your wife, and that may have caught you off guard. It's a, a pattern, though, in the Bible to say, okay, if this is what's true, live that out where you actually live. Think about your personal relationships. Go, go to your home. Go, go to your marriages. Go, go to your parenting. Go with your children. This is not meant to happen in this room. Or in a small group setting in someone's living room only, it's meant to be lived out in the grisly places where you actually are at your worst and at your best, where you're most vulnerable, where you're most seen, where, where people need things from you that you feel overwhelmed to give to them, where, where you need things from them that you don't know how to ask for. In that space, our transformation is to be lived out in personal relationships is where he goes first. And then, and then he goes to social and vocational settings. He talks about slaves and masters Next, so in the ancient world, the household was structured first with this marriage, then parent and children, then kind of the, the slaves masters relationship. It's concentric circles. It's complicated for us to read it kind of after the transatlantic slave trade and uh, all the atrocities that our country has engaged with. So we hear slavery, uh, and rightly so, we should go, man, this is complicated. It's dangerous. It feels kind of uneasy for me to think about applying in 2023. But, but if you can just go for a second, two different directions. One is in the vocational settings, right? It would, it's some application to jobs. Bosses and coworkers would be too small of an application, but it is a livelihood thing, similar to our early American days that slavery was an economic reality, right? Heinous, evil, but it was economics, right? And so that space, you have that reality going on. So there's this vocational part of that. 
But there's also a social part. The ancient world wasn't free from the prejudice and the um, injustice that our modern world embodied. They actually had that as well. So there's a, a social setting there. It's why he says there's no longer slave and free. There's an equality in Jesus. So the truth of Jesus is transforming our social and vocational lives. Again, where you live your life out. In your personal relationships and then where you spend a lot of your waking hours. Uh, in the job and in the community, right? And what's going on in that space to just think about the, the profound reality of slaves and masters sitting in the same room when this is being read. That means there's an equality there. They're, they're sitting as brothers and sisters in Jesus, smashing the social hierarchy of the day like it's supposed to do for our day as well. You see God flipping from the inside out the social orders where we normally try to rank and compete and compare ourselves. So that's being transformed. To live among people, whether you have power or you're being oppressed, to live in light of Christ in ways that actually are being transformed. So personal relationships, social vocational settings, and then he talks about what he calls outsiders, those who don't yet know Jesus. And probably should come up with a better word than that because it feels like you're stiff-arming somebody. But, but it is to say someone who's not yet in Jesus, somebody who's, who's not part of this redemptive family, someone who hasn't yet trusted Christ, to, to walk with them in a way that you share the good news of Christ with them. So Christians are meant to have this transformation happen inside their own hearts, to engage in these practices that help cultivate and foster that, and then live it out in their real life, including their personal relationships, their social vocational settings, and then with those who don't yet know Jesus. Okay, I told you it was a long introduction. In that space, then, what you've just heard is a summary of Christianity. You've just heard a way to engage with God about what what He's done for us and how He intends for that to be lived out in your very real life. And so if you were to walk through that, there's like 10 things I named there. The Gospel, repentance, learning to walk by the Spirit, engaging in the Word and worship and prayer and community, thinking about your personal relationships, your social vocational settings, and then relationships with those who don't know Jesus, with outsiders. Those 10 things become for us like the E on the I chart. So if we're doing nearsightedness, again, as an illustration, this is for us checking our vision to say, are you, are you focused on that? Is that capturing your attention? Hey, church, are you structured in such a way that's facilitating and fostering and encouraging those things to happen in people's lives? So this becomes like our ministry plan. It becomes how we think about our budgets. It becomes what we put on the calendar to think through how do we support and encourage those 10 things. So, so even coming up this fall, we're going to do a class on Wednesday nights, just kind of unpacking this a little bit more. The sermons will go for six weeks, and then we'll have a class that will go seven weeks. Not exactly overlap, but just some space to talk this out. Because I, I summarized that fast. You may have caught 40% of that. I don't know if you're even still listening, but you, you caught a little bit of that. But now you go like, okay, so what does that mean? How do, I, how do I do that? What would that mean tomorrow? How do I do that in this situation? So, so we'll do a class just to unpack that. When it comes to things like prayer, we're going to move our prayer from outside in the hallway by the bathrooms in the thoroughfare from the overflow room, which is not an ideal place to have quiet prayer, um, to move here to this front row to say, hey, could you come and respond after singing and the message and taking communion and be, be prayed for it? We value it enough to try to think through like how do we engage this together as a community? We put books on the back shelf to help reinforce and help you explain and think into some of some of these realities it is for us kind of the heartbeat of our church and it's more than just our philosophy that's way too small for a sermon series again i wanted to say it is i think the essence of the christian faith again you see a real similar section a real similar 
topic, a similar passage in Ephesians and in Galatians, which means when there's instructions to the first century church, this is the way it talks. And it kind of starts with who Jesus is, and then it goes into what it means for us to follow him. And so from that, then I want to just move towards this particular section, and I want to start where the passage starts, which this morning we're going to focus on what it means to be united with Jesus. It's the phrase he uses here uh, in verse 3, to have our lives hidden with Christ in God. What does it mean for Jesus to actually be our identity? That sounds great. I love the thought of that. What does that actually mean in practice? Theologians call it union with Christ. What does it mean for us as a people to be united with Jesus, to have Him hiding us, to cover us, to be the space of our identity? And then from there we'll go into What kind of people does that allow us to be? We'll talk about being an honest people. We'll talk about being a forgiving people. We'll talk about being a thankful people. We'll talk about being a relational people. And we'll talk about being a people that are outward focused. All of those are just right there inside that text. And the reason why I want to structure it like that is because identity is formed when you hear who you are and then someone walks you through what it's like to live like that. So a community says, this is who we are. And this is what it's like to live like us. So if you're a KU fan, there's like a code of ethics you have to follow, right? You have to go to certain stadiums. You have to cheer certain things. And K-State has some weird like cannonball dance thing they do. Like there's stuff you're just committed to. Or this is who we are. I don't care. You're going to wear purple and you're going to do this thing because you're part of us. Okay, silly. When it comes to faith or your own family or even your job, right? Your job probably has some core values or some some ways that we, here's our dress code. Here's how we think about vacation. Here's what it looks like to live like us. Identity is formed when you talk about who you are and what it's like to live like you. So with those kind of big markers, I want to step towards that in this passage and this morning talk about what it means to be hidden with Christ in God. So, so let's just start in verse 1 of chapter 3. He says, If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And set your mind on things that are above, not on things of the earth. You see that contrast there, the old way and the new way? Because for you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Okay, it starts kind of mid-thought, right? He says, if then, it's the way it opens up in verse 1. So he's been talking about something for the first two chapters. And he's been talking about Jesus. Again, the person of Jesus is the epicenter, not just of our faith, but of how transformation happens. It's actually the epicenter of the universe. And so what he said in chapter 1 is that Jesus is the preeminent one. He's the one that all this has been pointing to. The law and the prophets, they all were aiming this way. It's about Jesus. So if you have trusted him if you've been raised with him if you've been hidden with him it's it's baptism identity language if you were to go to romans chapter 6 you'll see something real similar in that space when someone is baptized they're saying the old way i'm dying to the way jesus died on my behalf i'm dying to the old way and the way christ was raised on my behalf i'm being raised to a new life when we do baptisms we'll say buried with christ in baptism raised to walk in this life we pull that language from Romans chapter 6. So to talk about being raised with Christ is to talk about trusting Him, being reconciled to God because of what Christ has done. And he says it's something that actually covers you. This beautiful illustration of, of that becomes the identity. That's what clothes you. That's what hides you. And the union with Christ is this beautiful reality 
that, that we see all throughout the Scriptures. Some have said it appears maybe 160 times in the New Testament. It's a, it's a key theme, a key doctrine. And one scholar said, no, no, it's not a key doctrine. It's the whole thing. You don't have Christianity without union with Christ. The whole thing centers on the idea that we can be united to Him. So, so like, what, what is it? What, what is union with Christ? There's probably lots of ways to answer it. Essentially, it means that we become one with Him so that who He is and what He has becomes ours. To, to be united with Him is to say that what He is and who He is and what He's done, what He has done becomes ours. You know what Christ means? That we are in Christ and that Christ is actually in us. Okay, so if you were to Google that, you would see a ton. I think the best thing I can do is read all 160 of those verses to you. No, I'm kidding. You're like, come on, man, don't do that. But can I give you like a quick summary? You could Google it on your own. It'd be a great application for you. But, but just listen to this. Listen to the way the Bible talks about what happens in Christ. When you trust Him, Romans 3.24 says that you are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. This union happens, justification meaning you've been forgiven of the guilt that you deserve. He's forgiven that. Romans 6.23 says that the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. It's not just a nebulous eternal life. It happens in union with Jesus. Romans 8.1 says that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans 8.2 says that the Spirit of life has set us free in Christ. So there's, there's freedom from the old way to move towards the new. Romans 8.39 says that that there's nothing can separate us from the love of God because we are in Christ Jesus. Romans 12.5 says that it has relational implications. We, though we are many, we are in one body in Christ and individually members of one another. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says if anyone's in Christ, they're a new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. 2 Corinthians 5.19 says that in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting trespasses against them. And he's entrusted to us this message of reconciliation. So to be united with Christ is to join him on his mission, 2 Corinthians 5.19 says. Galatians 3.14 says it's in Jesus that the promises of Abraham could be applied to the Gentiles. Galatians 3.26 says that in Christ we are now counted as daughters and sons of God. We've been adopted into the family because we're unified and in Christ. Galatians 3.28 says that all of us can be one. We can have unity as a people in Jesus. And then it goes past this life to the next. Ephesians 2.6 talks about us being seated with Him in heavenly places because we're in Christ. Ephesians 2.10 says that we're created to do good works in Christ. Ephesians 2.13 says that it's in Christ that though we were once far off, we've now been brought near. God's reconciled us to Himself. Philippians 4.7 says we have peace with God. Philippians 4.19 says that God's going to supply all of our needs. And 1 Thessalonians 4.16 says that in Christ the dead rise to be with God's presence. So it has this implication not just for this life, but for the life to come. So that's just a handful. Union with Christ is this key theme spread throughout the Scriptures to say what Christ has done, we get to actually participate with. What He has accomplished becomes ours. And Jesus said He would do this. He said He would give His life as a ransom for many. So part of what that means is that he took our place. 
We deserved alienation. We deserved to be judged. We deserved wrath. We deserved condemnation. We deserved to be distant from God. Jesus came into the world, lived the human life on our behalf, and because we can be united with Him, we can be united to the righteousness that He has accomplished for us on the cross. Okay, these are huge ideas that you will wrestle with your entire life, but you can grab a hold of the idea that who Jesus is and what is accomplished for you becomes yours as you're unified with Him. And Paul just starts with transformation in the Christian life, begins understanding that, that Christ unites us to Himself and we are, we are hidden with Him because of what He's actually done. Now, when it comes to identity, man, there's tons of choices and lots of ways you could think about that. We, we're oftentimes to build our own identity. So to hear about union with Christ is a set of contrast with other ways you might try to justify yourself, to make yourself whole, to, to feel safe, to feel like you have significance, to feel like you belong. And all those places actually create more anxiety, more unrest, more, more frustration. Think about our world right now. Never has there been more opportunity to define yourself to be what you want to be, to work hard enough and be, be mobile, to move, to transfer, to, to situate yourself to where you can actually change. And never have we had more anxiety, distance, fragmentation, depression. Actually, you, you're not meant to define yourself. And that's happened in the garden when they tried to, everything broke, and we've been living into that lie ever since then. And so what Jesus offers us is a relationship with Him that is united to Him, so where He gives us this identity so, so union with christ has everything to do with like having his identity having his righteousness and you ask like well how does that even happen i mentioned that jesus said he was going to be our ransom and then in first corinthians 15 we read that that just as death came through one man adam so also through the resurrection of the dead christ has come for as in adam all die so also in christ shall all be made alive so you have two choices for identity. One is to be in Adam and one is to be in Christ. You can be united to Adam or you can be united to Christ is the way the Bible talks. And because of what Christ has done, He's made it possible for all of us to be made alive because of His resurrection from the dead. It's, it's a representative head. He, he stands over humanity. He came and took on flesh, lived the human life so He could represent you and I before God in a way that said, I will take the punishment for their sin and I will give them my perfect righteous life. So union with Christ is about an exchange between your brokenness and God's holiness. To be united with Him is to receive what He's done and for God to actually see you the way He sees Jesus. One of the books on that shelf back there is this book by Jerry Bridges called The Discipline of Grace. Let me just read this for like succinct sake. He says, Union with Christ means that God sees us legally as so connected with Christ and what He did that when He lived a life of perfect obedience, it's as if we lived a life of perfect obedience. When He died on the cross to satisfy the just demands of God's law, it's just like we died on that cross. Christ stood in our place as our representative both by His sinless life and in His sin-bearing death. This is what Paul's referring to when he says, I've been crucified with Christ. Galatians 2.20 says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I that live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We, we have this exchange and this unity. Okay, it's a huge idea, but rest on this, this uh, fact or this hope or this promise that to think about transformation is not to muster up for yourself enough energy to be consistent for the next 60 years so you can be changed. It's to trust 
who Jesus is on your behalf and what he's actually done. You don't earn this. Look at the language of this text. It says, just seek the things that are above. Not earn them, not deserve them, but but have a desire for them. He says in verse 2, to set your mind on things that are above. Later on, he's going to say to let the peace of Christ dwell in you. These are words of action that we remember, we take hold of, we think about, but they don't make the reality happen. For the Christian, Christ does all the work. Our job then is to open our eyes, to to remember, to, to set our hearts on that, to stop looking at the things of the world, things that we used to be united to, and now look to Jesus. The Bible will use lots of illustrations, so let me just kind of step towards some of this to help make sense. Uh, John 15, there's an illustration of of the vine and the branches, uh, that Jesus is like the vine and his followers are like branches. It's an illustration of union with Christ. So uh, I know like most of you didn't grow up on farming communities. Most of us have seen pictures of vines, but you didn't like cultivate vines as a child growing up. I totally get it. But, but you can kind of remember what you've seen in books, right? Or what you've, what you've seen on TV. You have, you have all the nourishment, all the life coming from the roots and the tree coming from the actual vine. And the branch, all it has to do is be attached. And the way it's designed is it's not an effort for the branch to stay attached. The branch is not gritting its teeth to stay tied in. It actually is naturally designed to do that. So union with Christ, catch this, is the way God designed us to be. We spend some time talking about the garden. God designed us to be in His presence, to be unified with Him, to be in relationship with Him. That's what He designed we broke it. Jesus came to restore that, to make it possible for us to go back to the garden realities of being in communion with God because we're in union with Christ. So, so the vine and the branches is an illustration of how that union works. Another one throughout the scriptures is marriage. Man, if we're not very agrarianly minded and grew up in farms, most of us have even a harder time understanding like a healthy marriage or a a thoughtful marriage. Most of us have just lived with the shattered brokenness of our relationships. So, so it's hard to think about a permanent marriage. Hard to think about sacrificial love. But even that we can't quite grab a hold of it or we deal with all kinds of loss communicates it's not supposed to be that way. So maybe you could think about the ideal marriage. And between a husband and a wife, the scriptures talk about them becoming one flesh. A kind of union that's mystical, that's beyond just a legal contract. There's something happening where they, they actually become one. And then what's amazing is that the Bible tells us God did all of that, designed marriage, Ephesians 5 tells us, so that we would have an illustration of what it means to be connected to God. He says, it's like I'm the groom, Jesus says. And that's the way the Bible talks about God being our husband. And us being an unfaithful bride, right? So all of our brokenness in marriages, we don't just kind of blame it on other people. We look at ourselves and go, yeah, that's me. I've been unfaithful. I'm like Gomer in that story of Hosea. I'm the one who's given myself away and been unfaithful. And God is this faithful husband who, who is united to his people. So, so marriage is an illustration, this kind of union. And again, it's something that just happens. You don't make yourself one. God's the one who does that. And what's amazing is if you've been married three days or 50 years, you're not more or less married. Now you may understand more of it at 50 years, hopefully. Hopefully you've grown. But you're not more married 50 years later than you were when you first walked off that altar. You're, you already are married. You already are united. So there's this like whew, security. He actually talks about it happening in the past that, that we were hidden with Christ in God. 
And then we are being in a space where we're actually united to Him and we will one day appear with Him in glory. Actually, let me go back to verse 3. He says, We have died in the past. We are currently in the present being hidden with Christ. And we will appear with Him in glory is the way He talks in verse 4. So our past where all the shame lies, the present space where all the uncertainty lies, the future where all the anxiety lies, it says because of what Christ has done, those things are now covered. We're hidden with Christ in those spaces. So, so you're not more or less married. You're not more or less united. But, but you will grow to understand. You will grow to understand kind of the freedom and the hope that happens in that space. And the idea here is union with Christ. And then it goes past those illustrations to say, because we take on Christ, because we're hiding in Him, what He has becomes ours. So let me take one more risk with an illustration. I think I shared a few months ago that I used to work at Chuck E. Cheese. So if I was doing the math, if I've talked about that now like maybe twice in the last six months, that's more than like normally in 10 years I talk about it. So this will probably be the last time I mention this from the pulpit. But um, I was thinking about when I worked at Chuck E. Cheese uh, as a high school and early college student, uh, which was magical, by the way. And I actually was the mouse. So I was a huge seven-foot-tall mouse, right? So I would put on, stay with, this is an illustration, it's, it'll break down at several points, but hold with me for a second. So I put on the mouse costume, right? So I'm, I'm hidden inside this costume. And here's what's crazy. All the things that belong to Chuck E. Cheese now belong to me. And things that would be inappropriate or strange if it was just me walking through, now I can do as Chuck E. Cheese. So high fives all around and hugs to children. If it was just me like walking down the street doing that, it would be like, hey man, like, Relax, be careful, you're like 47. But as a gigantic mouse, it's like, yeah, I mean, that's what I'm supposed to be doing. Passing out tickets, passing out tokens, kind of posing for photographs, even dance moves. Dance moves that would be inappropriate for me outside of that costume. I could just cut loose inside that thing. Please have a visual image of your pastor dancing in a Chuck E. Cheese outfit. But I was hidden in that and took on all the rights and privileges, the identity of that character all the magical birthday moments i was now a part of i embodied them because i was hidden with this okay i told you to break down a lot but just imagine for a moment the righteousness of christ things that would be inappropriate for you to claim like like no condemnation like fully at peace like having everything you need like having confidence for the future things that if it was just about you that be really hard to hold on to really hard to believe they could be true and yet, because you're hidden with Christ, you're taking on who He is and what He accomplished for you, now it's very appropriate to talk about being justified, talk about being sanctified, to be, to be even holy. Think about your life, to call yourself holy. You're like, man, I don't know. There's like percentages, maybe there's days, there's moments, but on the net, holy? No way. But if you're hidden with Christ and God and what He has becomes yours, then all of a sudden, it's very appropriate for you to think about that for yourself. So, so to be hidden with Christ, to be united with Him, is to take what He has and that becomes your own. So maybe we just kind of close with this question, why does it matter? If, that, if that's what it is and how it happens, then we could answer, why does it matter? And here's the deal. If you are hidden with Christ in God, then you don't have to hide anymore. If Christ is your life, and He covers your past, your present, and your future. If you're hidden with Him, then you can be honest. You can be open. You don't have to hide anymore. Union with Christ is the death of deception, shame, shadows. You come into the light because the worst thing about you has already been spoken. 
that you were deserving of death, that you were alienated from God, that you were His enemies, that, that you were actually in the space as a corpse where you couldn't choose. And He chose on your behalf. And, and He clothes you. So no one will find out anything about you. And God won't discover something He doesn't already know that Christ hasn't already covered. If we're hidden with Christ in God, then we don't have to hide anymore. And we're never alone. We're never on our own. We're never by ourselves, which is great news for those of us who live lives that feel isolated. Whether it's a single life, or maybe you've been widowed or widowed, you're in a space where your family has shifted and you're no longer in relationships. Maybe for some of us, this last holiday season highlighted the sense of aloneness that we have. This is great news to think about that reality, to think that we're never actually alone. That the realest thing in the universe is with me. Because Jesus said He was going to go away back to the Father and He was going to send His Holy Spirit to come and dwell inside of us. So union with Christ isn't just something on the outside. The Bible talks is actually from the inside out. He comes and lives inside of us. He takes up residence in us. So He's inside you. He couldn't be closer to you than He is already. You won't get more married than 50 years. You're already united to Him. You're already one with Him. He's already with you. These are great comforting, motivating, reorienting realities. To think about the things you do when you think you're alone, the things you're tempted by when you think no one will see, but also the stuff that the ache and isolation make you susceptible and vulnerable to. Both of those directions, the power of that begins to fade as you think about being hidden with Christ in God. If you're hidden in Christ, then you don't have to hide. And then here's the opposite reality. If you don't hide in Christ, you're going to hide in something else. You're just made that way. You're made a dependent creature. And I know we hate that. We push against it. We have from our very first parents back in the garden. But we're made as dependent beings who, who actually have to be hidden in something. So you're going to hide in your job. You're going to hide in your relationships. You're going to hide in your bank account. You're going to hide in your accomplishments. You're going to hide in how people view you as a servant. You're going to hide in what you can actually brag about, what you can cover. You're going to spend a life hiding that will separate you from people separate you from God and it won't actually hold because none of those things have the weight or the heft or the gravity to actually hold you your job's not reliable enough relationships are not reliable enough sex is not reliable enough accomplishment is not reliable enough money can't last enough nothing else can actually hold you if you don't hide in Christ you're going to hide in something else it's what the Bible calls idolatry and those things always turn and cave in on us. And maybe you're experiencing that. Maybe you're experiencing the pain of those things beginning to expire. Those things actually that you've been trying to look to for righteousness and hope. And you wouldn't use the word salvation, but that's what it is. What would make you okay? What would make you actually whole? In those spaces, what we see is that we, we can't actually accomplish it. And as they expire... It's an invitation to be honest, to go, man, I need something different. And the answer is not try harder and do better, get more of it. The answer is to turn to Jesus, to trust what he did on your behalf to be the thing that makes you whole. And we gather every week to remind ourselves of that reality. That's why we take communion each week. It's not just a ritual we have. It's, a, it's an identity marker to remind us of what Christ has done so we can be rescued and we can be actually redeemed. That, that is the hope that we have in Jesus. So if you're not a follower of Christ, 
Would you hear kind of throughout this morning what we've been trying to sing about and pray about and talk about is that Jesus came into our world to make a way for us to be rescued and redeemed. He promises us and offers us his holy, righteous life in exchange for our fragmented, broken, sinful life. It's the offer of Christianity. And the good news is you don't have to earn it or deserve it. You just have to receive it. Right? He says to set your mind on things above, to seek these things, just, just to take hold of it by faith, not through your works, is the way the Bible talks. And so even this morning, there may be lots of things that are maybe confusing about this, but if you feel God calling you to yourself, you can trust that Christ died on the cross in your place as a ransom to bear the penalty for your sin. And the scriptures say if you trust in him, that he gives the right to become children of God. So this morning, maybe you would trust him for the very first time. If you're not a follower of Christ, though, and you're not ready to trust him, as we take communion, there's some prayers in the back of your bulletin. You can just stay in your seat and pray. Or you can come here to the front row. There'll be folks here who would love to pray with you. If you just want help, if you're like, man, I'm, I want to believe. I'm struggling to believe. I have lots of doubts and questions. People would love to pray for you here on the front row. If you are a follower of Jesus, that invitation to come be prayed for is for you as well. And I would invite you to come and take communion. Come remember Christ's broken body and shed blood on your behalf to make a way for you to be reconciled to God. It's a joyful reminder of the union that you already have. You're not getting more of it as you take communion. You're not activating it. You're simply remembering. You're remembering what Christ has done in his broken body and shed blood on your behalf to make you whole. Just bow your head with me for a moment. I'll pray for us, and then we'll take communion. Jesus, we ask you to come now and fill this room with your presence. We've said a lot of things that whole volumes of books have been written around, but would you now make application to our life as we think about hiding in you, other things we're tempted to hide in, the fact that you call us out of hiding because of your love for us. And would you speak to us because of the sacrifice of Jesus, not our ethical desires, not our commitments to you, not our pledges to do better, rest in what you have done for us. I pray that would be good news and would nourish my brothers and sisters this morning. For those who don't yet believe, would you come close? Would you answer their prayers while they interact with you? I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, remember, you can come here for prayer. We would tear communions, we tear a piece of the bread off and dip in the cup. There'll be gluten-free here in the middle, and all these aisles are open to you. Come when you're ready.